As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Welcome to those of you watching along live on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Welcome to those of you listening by traditional means via iTunes, via Stitcher, via wherever you typically access podcasts. I am joined, as per usual, by my right-hand man, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed's at home in Alabama. I'm at home in Illinois, at least for the evening. Big Jed, what up? Luke, doing well here in uh, God's country. Um, I was in uh, southern Illinois myself very recently. That's a beautiful area that you're in as well, but good to be back home in Alabama and um, really, uh, really excited about this show. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about in this week's show, so I'm pretty jacked about it. We've got, we'll touch on some Jake Summerdor car shootout action. I don't think it's something that would typically lead the show. So we're going to push it off to the end. Uh, but, but we do have some, some news and notes, some, some fun times, some, some recollections from the biggest little door car race in the Midwest. We've got a, uh, one, one super stock competitor that just keeps winning has uh, probably made himself the odds on favorite, a super gas competitor and a top sportsman competitor that finally lost for just about the first time in 2023. We've got old blood versus new blood and four doors, four times the fun from the Ultimate 64 in Ohio. We'll get into that. Um, we've got a change of hands at one of the, the most notable facilities in sportsman drag racing. We'll touch on that. But first, Big Jim, let's start with the NHRA Thunder Valley Nationals, Bristol, Tennessee. Yeah, great place to start. Uh, obviously, Bristol, near and dear to my heart. So great to see that uh, that they had a great event there in Thunder Valley. And uh, 
Luke, there's a guy that's that's emerged in super stock. I say emerged. He's back, if you will, in super stock. And this guy's on a tear right now. He, he's winning in multiple classes, but he's really doing some damage in super stock. And it's good to see. Really happy to see Monty Joe Bogan back competing, number one. And uh, no surprise, he's doing extremely well. Monty Joe got the win in super stock. And that's something that he's doing with some regularity right now. Um, not Certainly not posting a ton of wins, but hadn't given himself a whole lot of chances. But definitely great to see Monty Joe Bogan get it done in super stock. And Luke, he's putting himself in a great position. He is. I think it's hard not to say at this point, um, you know, about mid-season, that he is not in the driver's seat in the Superstock points chase. As we've kind of discussed throughout the season, Superstock is going to be a lot of fun because not only are there several drivers posting great early scores, it's the quote-unquote usual suspects. There's a lot of name recognition at the top, led by Monty Joe, who's a, a multi-time IHRA world champion, as well as Brad Burton, Kyle Rizzoli, Pete Dagnolo, Kevin Helms, like on down the line. Um, yeah, Monty Joe. Way to go, Monty Joe. Monty Joe is rolling. This is two national event appearances for him in the Superstock category. Two victories. It doesn't get any better than that. He's batting 1,000. He combines that with a pair of final round finishes on the Lucas Oil Tour. One win, one runner-up. It puts him in the driver's seat at this point. And I think it's fair to say the, the favorite, slight favorite probably, to at this point in the season to, to win his first NHRA World Championship in the Superstock category. I will say this, like I, I dug a little bit deeper and, and his points resume doesn't look quite as good when you dig into it as it might at first glance for one simple reason. He's been to a lot of points meets. He's been to seven. You only get one more. Um, he's got those two final rounds, but I really think as silly as this sounds and as oversimplified as it probably is, wherever he goes for his last points meet, I think that that particular race will be very critical. I, I think the championship may actually hinge on his performance there. I would say if he could advance to fourth rounder further in that event, I'd really like his odds. If he loses early, even with another strong national, it's iffy, especially given the talent waiting in the wings there in Superstock. But allow that to take nothing away from what Monty Joe has accomplished to this point and specifically at Bristol. You mentioned how he's doing it in multiple categories. Is that an excellent season in competition eliminator? I don't think he's ran a whole lot of stock eliminator to this point. He jumped in the stocker at Bristol and flirted with a double. Not only did he win Superstock, I believe he's in the quarterfinals of stock eliminator as well. So again, way to go, Monty Joe. Yeah, definitely on a heater and super stock and just really seems like whatever other class he chooses to run, Luke, he's a factor in. He's really just performing well in two classes with some regularity. Uh, I don't know Monty Joe's schedule. I don't know where that last divisional will come. I'm not even sure based on the schedule what makes the most sense for him. I would assume he's going to Indy and maybe we'll catch Bowling Green on the way and you know, make that the last one. That's a that's a difficult one to to probably choose where you need to go do well. But I would assume Monty Joe is fairly fast within his category, and uh, that one's going to have a maximum amount of rounds 
for a divisional event. So I'd imagine that helps as well. So maybe he's looking at that as a, as a point scoring opportunity, but not real sure. Could possibly waive that one, Luke, because you know you can waive one. So can waive. Can we'll see how that works out for Monty Joe. But um, if I'm in the category that he's pursuing, he's definitely somebody you better keep your eye on because Monty Joe is is performing very very well. Luke, there's some really there's some devastating news in the super gas category from Bristol. As as notable as it is that Monty Joe Bogan won the race. At this point in 2023, it is equally notable that Sherman Adcock Jr. did not. At this point in the year, that is breaking news. Sherman Adcock Jr. went to a race in Supergas and failed to win the event. What in the world happened? Yeah, just that's unbelievable. I mean, it really is based on his performance thus far this year. But uh, he ran into a buzzsaw there in round number three in John LaBouche Jr. And of course, uh, John LaBouche Jr. goes on to the final round to face a guy that we don't see a whole lot in uh, in the southern part of the country. But Jacob Elrod made his way down to Bristol and got it done in super gas. Well, a great performance by Jacob Elrod. Obviously, uh, people that know the Elrod family know these guys are very capable, great equipment. They dominated on the IHRA scene for many, many years. And Obviously, with that not being an option these days, they've uh, chosen uh, to, to ease on to the NHRA side of things, although they've competed there for many years as well. But uh, a big super gas win there for, for Elrod and uh, obviously a place he likes a lot, Luke, with a, with a couple of big wins there in recent years. Yeah, I believe that's two super gas wallies uh, from the Thunder Valley Nationals in the last three seasons. So. Yeah, that place seems to be pretty good to uh, to one Jacob Elrod. Yeah, obviously it does, but uh, Sherman Adcock fans, don't worry, okay? Sherman's got quite the stranglehold on the super gas category. You know, obviously going out in round three is not uh, where he wanted to be and certainly doesn't improve his position, but he's in great shape. And one of these racers, like a LaBouche or somebody, would have to get super duper hot to really run him down while he's getting cold at the same time, which, you know, could happen most definitely. But uh, but it's going to be a challenge for somebody to run him down, Luke. With that third round finish, Sherman Adcock runs his season points total to 618 points. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you've heard me say that 650 should win. And 700 historically guarantees a championship. No one's ever scored 700 and lost. To get to 650, <clears throat> Sherman Adcock needs to turn on one win light the rest of the season. He's at 618 points. He gets 30 more when he stages at his next division race. Just to put it in yeah. perspective, I think Sherman can stomach the down loss. He's still in relatively good shape. Yeah, still in really good shape. Uh, other notable uh, final round finishers or final round winners from uh, Bristol National. Go back to Alabama. Oh, Alabama boy stepped up and got it done, Luke. Jeff Strickland got the win over the always difficult out in Cooter. Uh, James Hidalgo Jr. in a you know great stock final. That's a, that's a stock final for the ages there between two of the best in the game. Yeah, in the final three, even you add your boy Steve Foley into that. But 
Yeah. Foley probably doesn't have the accomplishments yet of a Jeff Strickland and a Cooter Hidalgo, but I'd say if he sticks with this 10 years from now, he will. That's three of the most talented drivers in the category. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Foley and the Copo, obviously great equipment, strict with great equipment in the Copo, Cooter in the GTO. You know, those guys got late model great cars and they drive the wheels off of them. But Strick comes out on top, gets the win over Cooter and puts up a number, Luke, that, you know, really ranks him very high among, you know, the, the drivers that will go down in history in, you know, NHRA sportsman competition. I mean, that's a lot of Wallace. Strick goes about it so quietly. I think it's kind of easy to take it for granted. This was national event win number 21. 21 national event wins. Like you say that quickly and you just kind of breeze over it. That's a big, big number. That is huge. It really is. You know, you, you, we talk about, you know, you know the Dan Fletchers and, and the Peter Biondos and the, the Richardson brothers and all of the greats in the sport, David Rampey and so on and so forth. But Strick coming in there with 21 national event wallies. I don't know where that ranks him, Luke, but but that's a big number when you look at because you'll look at a lot of guys between obviously 30 and 100. And there's going to be a, quite a few people in there, but it starts dropping off significantly after that. Strick landing in 21 really, you know, makes him legendary in the sport. It really does. That's a that's a tremendous accomplishment for him. So Really happy to see Strick get that done. And he's done it, obviously, in multiple categories himself, in the 90 classes, in stock, in top dragster. Uh, I don't know if Strick's got super stock wins, but I, I know at one time he was running the stocker that qualified in super stock. So I'd imagine he's collected one or two over there as well. It'd be an interesting study. I, I'm almost certain that Strick has a super stock victory back when he was part of Team, bump, team Bumper Sticker. With, uh, with Scotty and Brian Robinson and Shane Carr and that whole bunch, which seems like a, a, a lifetime ago. Pretty sure he got a super stock win there. I know for a fact that his first couple of national event wins were in super comp. So that's at least four categories. Feels like he might have got a super street win somewhere along the way. We, we, we might need to do a little bit of research there. Yeah. Um, where's Austin Williams when we need him? That's, uh, again, even more impressive when you take that 21, divide that over four or more categories. Very, very impressive for him. And uh, the other noteworthy news is uh, Brandon Miller. Uh, his perfect record has come to an end and looked like it was the hard way too, Luke. As, uh, as, as rare as it was to see Sherman Adcock ride down the racetrack in Bristol and not have his windlight come on, Watching Brandon Miller do the same thing at Lebanon Valley at the Division I event over the weekend was actually unprecedented in 2023. Brandon Miller brought a perfect round record into that uh, Division I event at Lebanon Valley, turned it three thousandths red in round one to blemish that mark slightly. I guess also worth noting that uh, that loss for Adcock Jr. to John LaBoose Jr., in Bristol was the first time that Chairman Adcock has left the starting line green in 2023 and failed to see his win light come on. Pretty impressive when you realize that's over 40 runs down the racetrack. Yeah, so the, the message there, Sherman hard to beat when he turns her green and uh, certainly was against an opponent that, um, you know, is a hard to beat 
when he turns it green as well and John LaBeouf Jr. So Sherm, we'll have to get that corrected and let's get that 700 posted. Make sure we, uh, we just put this thing out of reach here next time out. One of the longest lasting, perhaps most prestigious uh, events on the Big Dollar Bracket Tour, certainly one of the most fun events on the Bracket Tour. I, I think that's what the Ultimate 64 has become known for more than anything over the years. Um, Ultimate 64 returned to Kilcare Raceway over the weekend. And the final round of the main event, Big Jet, it, it pitted some new blood versus some old blood. Garrett Griffith, what's Garrett? In early 20s, right? Oh, man, is he that old? Yeah, I, uh, it, Maybe he not might, be in his, might be in his early 20s. I was thinking he might have made it to 20 by now. But. He gets the big win over... William Hamilton, the fat lady himself, 74 years young. How's that for a final round matchup on the biggest of stages? Very cool to see Mr. Hamilton uh, make a final round on such a big stage. Um, you know, obviously a guy that uh, 20 years ago, you know, I didn't realize at the time he was in his early 50s 20 years ago. But, you know, we heard a lot about Mr. Hamilton back in those days, Luke, uh, Obviously, uh, I think he's got a World Super Pro Challenge, 50 grander to his credit. And uh, he's a guy that up in that area of the country, Ohio, Michigan, all up through there, he has uh, has won quite a bit in his time. But at 74, to go to that big final round, a 64-car shootout that had the baddest of the bad in it, very impressive for the fat lady. Uh, happy to see that for Mr. Hamilton. And Garrett Griffith, you know, what can you say about him? Like this young man has already done things in this sport that people dream of doing over decades long career. And he's doing it at a very early age, continuing to show out on the big stages. Uh, such a talented young man and capable and obviously got great equipment, lots of great equipment, several uh, bad rides in their stable. So great job by Garrett Griffith. And to put your name on the list of, of the, the talent that has collected the final trophy at the Ultimate 64, that's got to be extra special. So awesome job by Garrett Griffith uh, to, to get a legendary win. I like Garrett's game. And just, I don't know Garrett all that well. I like his attitude. That kid is always smiling. He just seems like he's having a ball and beating the hell out of everybody in the process. <laughs> well, you know, when you're good looking, you're young, you're talented, and you got great equipment, why wouldn't you smile? I mean, that's it's, why I don't smile very much. <laughs> well, it's one thing to have the world by the horns. It's another thing at his age to realize it. He seems to realize it. I like that. <laughs> yeah, very good point. But although Garrett had a great performance and, and we, we marvel at, at William Hamilton's longevity and talent for so long, the MVP is a guy that we talked about at length last year, Luke. This guy was in seven finals last year with all the racing that they got to do. Comes back, brings the Mordor Nova, and goes to the MVP stand. Um, for the second season in a row, Ryan Butler, he collected the Friday 10K win, and he got the Saturday main event win in no box. And, and I believe went a few rounds in the ultimate itself and got a piece of that pie too. Just a guy that continues to show out. I, again, I've watched him a lot. 
a lot of discipline. He's got a plan. He sticks to it well. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes in the race car and collected the MVP for the second season for good reason. A very talented racer and, you know, kind of unassuming with the four-door Chevy too, but it's fun to watch, man. He's a lot of fun to watch and, and just gets it done a lot. Hard to uh, live up to the resume that he posted at last season's Ultimate 64 to come back a year later and drive to the MVP yet again. Really, really notable, impressive stuff, especially in the Mordor. I mean, that's pretty unique. And yeah, heels of he just won a big no box race. Was that a big Hodges race at Terre Haute with the, the Bernie Man? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, definitely. He's on a heater and um, certainly look forward to seeing what he's uh, able to accomplish as he continues on through the season. But he's a guy that is capable of winning everywhere and anywhere he shows up. Luke, there was a there was a very special memorial event that took place in Darlington first year for this and the uh, the events that led to this race happening or, or being uh, initiated uh, was, you know, something we never want to see or hear about. And that was the passing of Sean Sarah after a, after an accident on the road and um, certainly took his life and, and shocked the entire racing world when that happened. And uh, his brother and some others got together and decided to have the Sean Sarah Memorial Bracket Race, the inaugural event at Darlington. It happened this past weekend. Um, what a great event. These guys had an awesome showing, a uh, lot, uh, lot of great tributes. The, the purse for Friday, the winner's purse, was 13-9 um, to, you know, in memory of, uh, of Sean's number, which was uh, 139, it's actually 139P, I believe. But, um, but the 139 number keeps showing up a lot on dial boards and scoreboards on buy runs and those type things. So the world is remembering Sean at a very high level and, and certainly um, paying honor to, to his time here with us. But the Sean Sarah Memorial was a was a race dedicated to his memory and they showed out big time luke and and some talented people got big win lights there yeah the uh, the on track action started with one steve withrow scoring a, a fitting and emotional thirteen thousand nine hundred dollar victory on friday night um sean and his brother jeff both spent a lot of time driving for steve withrow that that win had to be really special yeah, I'm, I imagine uh, special or whatever word we could put on it doesn't even begin to describe uh, Steve's emotions and, you know, the, the I guess the significance of him collecting the first ever big check at the Sean Sarah Memorial that he gets to take with that till his final day with us. Uh, pretty amazing scenario how it all played out. and. Certainly a uh, uh, very deserving guy and Steve Witherow. He, he has worked with the Sarah boys quite a bit over the years and to, to get to, to guess, pay uh, honor to Sean's memory and what Sean did in his time with Steve with a, with a wind light there for 13-9 on Friday. I couldn't imagine a cooler uh, feeling or, or scenario playing out at all. So happy for, for uh, 
W, that was a big deal for him. Um, then we get Saturday, look at 20 grander, a guy that was close to Sean and, and certainly uh, meant a lot to him. And a young man is just freaking quietly once again, you know, he's not necessarily choosing the biggest payday he can go race for, but he's, he's on big stages. And once again, he's starting to put that season together that, you know, just is really, really impressive. And that's one Corey Galetti getting it done for 20K on Saturday, Luke. It just keeps on keeping on, Big Jed. You talk about him slowly putting the season together. It seems like he's slowly putting the half decade together. I mean, it just hasn't stopped. That's really good point. You know, obviously he hasn't had a bad season, but again, we we tend to to see the fifties and hundreds and larger, and you know, people chasing those around all over the country, and and Corey seems very content and happy to go run those when they fit his schedule or go run a five or 10 or 20 or whatever. And, you know, obviously this event meant a lot to him personally. So he was there for obvious reasons. And then to get the 20 K win on Saturday um, for, you know, the memorial for someone that, that he cared deeply for had to be very cool for Corey. I, you know, I don't imagine it had the same, impact that it did for Witherow because of the relationship there, but it had to mean a ton. And and Corey getting that final round win was a very, very big deal for him. And I know that Sean looking down and uh, certainly was proud of him. Without question. And uh, Donovan Williams on the weekend, he did not secure a main event victory at Darlington, but obviously his performance throughout was worthy of the weekend MVP honors. So no surprise there, Donovan Williams quickly has ascended to one of the elite drivers in the country. No surprise to see him claim that MVP. I thought it was worth noting that uh, that he walked away from Darlington with those honors as well. Yeah, very noteworthy there. Uh, Donovan, obviously uh, one of the most talented young racers, if not just most talented racers in the pits every time he shows up. Uh, Really cool to see him earn the MVP honors. And, you know, we just talked about Ryan Butler getting the MVP at the Ultimate 64. Then you got Donovan getting the MVP at the Sean Sarah Memorial. Um, I'm loving this MVP trend. Lately. I was thinking the same thing. Every race should have an MVP. I, I like Yeah, that. I, I agree. Uh, we're actually going to uh, implement that at the at the World Footbreak Challenge this year um, in honor of uh, my late great father-in-law, Mike Moe. Uh, we're going to have the the Mike Moe MVP award, so that's going to be pretty cool. We're going to we're going to pass that out at uh, at Bristol to whomever shows out to be the MVP of the weekend. And uh, obviously this all started with the Fling brand. Peter and, and Big Nasty decided that races should have an MVP. Might not be somebody that dominated the winter circle, but somebody that really showed out all weekend long. And uh, it's been a great idea, and I love to see this trend catching on. So looking forward to having our own MVP real soon. Luke, uh, before we move into the, the best race of the weekend, which was the Jake Summerdor car shootout, there's some news out of Capital City. And I don't know, this was kind of a quiet announcement. I mean, it, it you know, it was something that, that they put out there through mainstream social media to make sure people saw it. But 
you know, I don't know that it's got the kind of traction that I anticipated it getting, but it kind of felt like a like a, a late Friday afternoon news dump kind of really yeah. just kind of slid yeah. under the radar. When you do those things on the weekend, they tend to to not get quite as much attention, but um, it, that's kind of how it went. But Capital City Motorsports Park is changing ownership. Now, that's, that doesn't mean there's going to be a change in uh, leadership. Ben Willis will still continue to, to run the facility and, uh, and manage the day-to-day and week-to-week activities. But uh, the behind-the-scenes ownership has changed to one Brad Wheeler. Brad Wheeler, uh, racer out of Georgia, um, I think South Central Georgia, if I remember correctly, I think they're somewhere close to Reynolds. I can't remember exactly where Brad's located, but, you know, I've had a couple people ask me, Brad Wheeler, you, you know who Brad Wheeler is? It's real simple. You know, you can, you can sum up Brad Wheeler very easily and help people understand who he is. He's got the baddest Chevelle wagon on earth. Uh, this thing is black. It's fast. It's low. It uh, is fun to look at. It's fun to watch. And uh, he goes rounds a lot. So somewhere, somewhere the Olathe outlaw just took exception to that statement. Big good. We're going back <laughs> to the Jason and Bill shoot out there. Yeah. Well, the Olathe outlaw is my favorite. I didn't say it was not my favorite. I did, this was my favorite. I just said it's the baddest. Fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Brad Wheeler, uh, he and his son have some fast. Uh, early GM products and a uh, guy that's got a successful business, I think a, a diesel uh, repair shop over in Georgia, um, obviously has done well for himself to put him in position to buy a capital city. And he has taken ownership of that and really happened at a good time, Luke. Uh, he, he's coming in right here in the prime of the season and uh, and going to make some changes there at Capital City. Obviously, we know uh, what has been the major distraction for Capital City during large events. And uh, Brad's got plans to, to get all that fixed very soon. Yeah, the, the the stigma around that facility, whether it's it's completely fair or not, is timing system issues highlighted by the, the problems of a couple of years running now with OG Million. And it's within the initial release that Wheeler's taking over ownership, that Wheeler's purchased a new AccuTime timing system. Like we're gonna we're gonna strike that stigma clean and start fresh. From a from a bracket racing standpoint, it sounds like a really um, positive move, a really smart move, a, a first step at, at the new facility. I'm curious, Jed, like as a racer in the area, and and as a racer knowing that one of the biggest events on the schedule, that being the the, the Great American at USA 500K is slated to make its way to that facility in, in what, four months from now? What does this change in ownership mean for the racer locally, or what is the vibe that's coming from it at this point? Well, I think the, the change in ownership doesn't really peg the excitement needle, and that's no offense to Brad whatsoever. I, I just think the the ownership of the of the facility has been kind of behind the scenes anyway. I think Brad will be a little more present and involved, which I'm sure will lead to great things. But when you announce something like 
we're going to address the most majorest issue that we've had, and we're going to address it in, in the form of a brand new AccuTime, which is arguably the most popular system among racers right now. We're going to address it with a brand new AccuTime timing system, and we're going to leave that doubt in people's mind out of play. That, that's, that's a non-issue any longer. What else do you have? Bring it to me and we'll address that too. So I think in terms of what the ownership is planning and what he's made public that he's planning is, uh, has people very excited. And, you know, locally, uh, I do believe that people um, choose to go there knowing that they're could possibly be an issue. I haven't heard much issues out of there this year. They've done a lot of work already. Ben and his staff have done things already to try to address that. And I, I've been hearing some really positive results, but I think it's a great move on Brad Wheeler's part to say, well, we're not going to leave this to chance. Um, and certainly, you know, you got a guy that, uh, that owns a timing system or, or part part owner in it and he's got a plane and can get to you fairly quickly and support you when you need it as you are well aware uh, that 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 same thing happens at i-57 so great move on brad's part and i think that i think his plans are pegging the the uh, excitement needle pretty well uh, here locally and certainly uh, in other areas of the country knowing what's coming up i mean you you've got a race coming up like you said, in just a few short months, it's going to pay half a million dollars, Luke. I mean, that that needs attendance and it needs confidence on the racer's part that they're going to get what they're paying for. And Brad is providing that confidence. Um, Brad and Ben staying together and uh, and obviously making sure that, that they deliver a great event for uh, Galen and Britt and Tommy and, and the staff there at the Great American along with their own events. Uh, Brad immediately, I don't know if you saw it, their their FTI bracket series paid 5000 to win each time they opened the gates. Brad immediately just took his business, put it on the sponsorship, and said, now we're going to pay ten. So 10000 to win on their, their bracket point series each time they opened a gate. Pretty darn sporty. So Brad's come in like a wrecking ball, and um, and I'm excited, man. I really am. They, those guys are going to do well together. Why the 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 timing system move is, is smart? Again, whether or not that stigma is fair, it is very much a stigma, and it sticks to a racetrack. Like we've seen this over the course of years. Racetrack has an issue at a big enough event, and even if they rectify it the following week that reputation, that shadow of doubt in the racer's mind sticks with it for years. Like the absolute best thing you could do, whether it was completely necessary or not, is step one, wipe the slate clean. Like this will no longer be an issue, right? And, and I think that goes a long way with racers. Like to that point, I'll, I'll leave the name out of this, but I spoke with a, a racer who our listeners would know uh, within the last month or two and and somehow or another, the subject of the the Great American USA 500K came up, and this race was point blank. Like I I would love to support Galen. I'd love to support Britt. I, I I think everything they do is awesome. I will not go to Montgomery, and I think that changes immediately. You know what I mean? I and and I I don't think that that was necessarily the overwhelming consensus among 
big dollar bracket racers, but there was enough people like that man that I talked to that it would make a difference. And, and now you wipe that clean. As a side note, Jed, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I don't want to get super political here because as a racer, I think AccuTime makes a great system. I think Compulent makes a great system. I think Portentree makes a great system, right? I've, I've raced on all three numerous times with very little issue, right? And 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 have and at the same time, like have have seen issues with all of them, you know, from uh, from time to time. That there was a time, for a long time, where racers just as a general rule did not question the Compulent. Like that was the gold standard. And for that reason, like, I think it would say just safe to say that for with money not being an object, the, uh, uh, a track owner, a track manager would opt that way just to have that reputation. Has that shifted? Like, I almost feel like AccuTime has taken that role over. Do you, do you think so? I most definitely feel that way, Luke. And, and honestly, I think it's got a lot to do, not necessarily with the, the system and its capabilities, but, you know, Brockmeyer has, I guess, been a little reluctant to travel quite as much. You know, he's, he's no spring chicken. I'm not, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know already, but Brockmeyer's got a few birthdays under him. I don't think he likes to get out a whole lot and and labor over the timing systems. I think he wants them sent to him for updates and uh, some repairs rate with regularity. And some people can do that. Some people can't. And when they have an issue, you know, it's hard for him to necessarily fix it over the phone. But I believe that a lot of the people that have had to deal with Bob, um, you know, might talk unfavorably at times. Again, not knocking him myself. Uh, this is no personal experience. This is just some of the things I hear. So I think it tends to leave racers with the thought that CompuLink has a dead end. Um, you know, that that, that, that system, when Bob's done, that system's done. I don't believe that. I definitely think someone will take ownership of it and continue on because it's got so much uh, traction. You know, it's obviously the preferred system for NHRA tracks and NHRA events. But at the same time, I think people think that it has an ending to it. And that that tends to probably make them look other places. And AccuTime is a great system. You know, you don't hear about issues with AccuTime. You hear that they have great support. You see videos of Rusty flying in and flying out and, or, you know, whomever. Uh, so I think, I think by and large, that's just become the favorite for people because they are talked about so favorably among the racers and the, the track owners that have their system. It almost feels like the, the, the natural flow of business in some regard, because I, I could, I could be mistaken here, but my impression is that Bob Brockemeyer and CompuLink is are, are contractually obligated to NHRA and the and the the big tour, right? And and I know Bob is still at, if not all, certainly the majority of NHRA national events. So that eats up a lot of his time, a lot of his bandwidth, and probably rightfully so. I would assume that that's a that's a a lucrative involvement on on his end. But over the course of decades of doing that, obviously that could leave the, the smaller facility that is invested in CompuLink feeling a little bit alienated, right? 
and hence opening the door for something like AccuTime to come in. And then over time, those seeds get sown. And I think what you see now is largely the result of, you know, probably two decades of that going on. And Rusty Crawford and his team at AccuTime kind of developing that reputation that initially started at the tracks that were kind of left behind by CompuLink's ascent. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of it. And, and for whatever for whatever reason, again, that's uh, that's becoming what appears to be the favorite among the racers. And, you know, I think track owners that choose to go that route are making a very good decision. Uh, I think they're probably being led in that direction by their uh, supporters. So for for all intents and purposes, that is the, the favored system of you know, sportsman racers, bracket racers, what have you, but definitely not trying to. Uh, indicate that I think CompuLink is uh, is not going to live for a long, long time. Brock Meyer's got a great product. He obviously has a, a niche that he uh, is kind of locked in with, but certainly anybody with, with his product uh, has a, a wonderful timing system that uh, when everything's set up right, works very, very well. And I know that... Uh, that that product will live even when Bob decides he's he's done and and retiring. Somebody somebody smart with money will take that over. No, but your your point is is valid, and I actually I think it applies to to Acutime as well. Like we could have a whole conversation. Like we've we've actually juggled the idea of of dedicating a, an episode of this show to the what I think is the inevitable reckoning in, in timing systems across the board. But everything that you said about CompuLink, I think could apply to AccuTime too. At least the perception from the outside is that this is created by one genius, right? Whether that's Bob Brockemeyer or, or Rusty Crawford. And both of those gentlemen are, are up in years, right? So, and without at least a clear public succession plan in place, right? So the I think the, I think it's natural for the perception, whether it's accurate or not, the fear to be like, okay, well, what happens when these guys can't travel the way that they do? You know, that's the dupe. Uh, and like I say, I don't know that that's necessarily fair. I would imagine there is some sort of succession plan in place, but it hasn't been made public. And it, you would think, again, just kind of the natural flow of, of business, that that creates opportunities for something like Portentry, who I think makes a very good system that just hasn't been out long enough to, to have the same name recognition, the same reputation that CompuLink's had for decades that AccuTime now enjoys as well. Yeah, you know, there's there's obviously several good systems out there, and Portentry is one of them. You know, we, we've all enjoyed Portentry practice tree-type products uh, with uh, great success and, and longevity and high quality. That, that same quality is in everything they do and it's in their their actual timing system so you know I, I, I certainly don't want people to think that uh, that I think only AccuTime is the answer there's uh, there are several good systems out there and, and Portree being one of them but you know each and every track has to make decision that makes sense for them and uh, certainly seemingly AccuTime's getting a lot of traction these days and it's for good reasons great system but I know uh, up in your region, and I guess on up through to the northeast, uh, Porter Tree is is used with some more regularity at a lot of facilities, and I'm sure they got tracks all over the place. But uh, as you know, my uncle developed uh, the ETS timing system, and 
that's definitely what's happened to him. You know, he's in his mid eighties and um, doesn't get out very well any longer and doesn't travel and can't support at the same level that he used to. So uh, a lot of tracks are going away from his system now. And it seems like just about every time someone goes away from his system, they choose the Aki time for whatever reason. So I don't know if he's helping them make that decision. If he says, if you're going to change systems, this is the one you need to look at or what, but it do, they do seem to go from ETS to Aki time uh, with regularity. So I'm, uh, I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that, uh, they're, you know, again, somebody might even buy his system out and, and try to continue. But, uh, I think that the, these guys having a little bit of age on them, I'm sure that's going to, you know, that'll even change things in 10 years. Who knows who will be, who will be out there trying to do it, or we might get it down to less systems. Time and systems are definitely, uh, a major factor in people's decisions to go race and AccuTime at Capital City is going to be, no offense to Bob, but it's going to be a great, great thing. And I'm sure going to lead to success for those guys. We shelved it to last, Big Jed. Let's talk a little bit about the biggest little door car race in the Midwest. This race, I think, I'll admit purposely, like it's got a bit of a cult following. It's kind of like you got to be here to get it. Right. Like we don't yeah. have live feed. We don't let a whole lot out, but it is an experience unique unto itself. And I think anybody that's been there will tell you the same thing. But Jed, I'll start with the on track action. This year's edition of the Jegs Summer Door Car Shootout, the 12th annual Jegs Summer Door Car Shootout, was the Andy Small show. Andy Small became the first driver in event history to win the main event via the no box side. He rolled through no box, he left the box out. He beat the no-box cars. He beat the box cars. He held the $12,000 check Friday. Then Andy Schmall came back. We ended up having to combine uh, the originally scheduled Saturday and Sunday events into one $24,000 to win mega main event. In that event, Andy Schmall once again rolled through the no-box side. He collected the Larice Motorsports Insurance no-box bonus. He fell into Super Pro. He advanced all the way to the semifinal round before ending that incredible win streak not making the final of the second race. Just for good measure, he then entered the King of Illinois shootout, which is our $500 to enter 100% payback race. This year, it featured a winner's purse of $31,000. Andy Schmall, just just to put the icing on the cake, advanced to the quarterfinals in that event as well. It was the Andy Schmall show. I would say this, Jed, and I don't, from, from your position in the tower, like, as, as obvious a decision as it should have been if we did have an MVP award, which we don't, we may have to change that in the future. I'm a, I'm a fan of the MVP as well. As obvious as it would be to hand that to Andy Schmall, if you're looking for another name, I think I would make a really strong argument for Taylor Bowen. Taylor runnered up to Andy in Friday's main event. He actually lost again to Andy in the quarterfinals of Saturday's main event. And in both instances, I think he was triple zero red in the final. He was one thousand red in the quarters. And if you're just looking at the runs that stacked up over the weekend, nobody made better runs than Taylor Bowling. Yeah, I would say that's very accurate, Luke. Obviously, it was the Andy Small show. Uh, Andy just run through the field, like you said, on Friday. Won the main event. He won the Larice Motorsports No Box bonus he won the long distance award uh, coming out from Idaho. Uh, uh, let me correct you. Jamie won the long distance award. That's right. His wife won the long distance award because you guys determined 
determined that her side of the bed was farther wester than uh, Jamie's and then uh, Andy's side of the bed. Yes. So obviously uh, she collected that, but uh, she raced pretty good too, by the way, (laughs) more. There were several smalls in the show that raced well, but Andy just very impressive, Luke. He just don't make a whole lot of mistakes and he is so good and his results are so good. He forces a lot of mistakes in the other lane. So he was impressive to watch. Uh, Definitely. There's an intimidation factor when you run the guy that that won the Spring Fling Million in Vegas and uh, that's winning round after round after round. So um, he uh, he performed very well and, and stayed true to his strategy. Uh, but Taylor Bowling, this guy, and arguably Willie's favorite Nova on the property, um, really just drove the wheels off of that thing. You know, he did run into a couple of buzz saws and he, he come up a thou red here and a few 10,000 red there, but really drove well, put a lot of laps on the hot rod, sets it down to dead on or finds dead on with regularity, Um, you know, can run the dial in every time he goes down the track and and stays very disciplined to his strategy. Just a fun guy to watch, talented dude, turned on a lot of wind lights and, and really, again, as you said, would have been a contender for the MVP but I'm not sure the next guy we're about to talk about on Saturday wouldn't have won the MVP and never won a race, Luke. Good point. Good point. What what Andy Small didn't win? Well, I guess Scott Carman didn't win either, but, man, he came close. Scott Carman popped in his wife Tabitha's S10 for Saturday's main event. He drove to the runner-up finish, runner-up to one of our local hitters, Mark Buttram. A little bit more on Mark later. If that wasn't enough, runnering up the $24,000 win main event, Scott then immediately fell into the aforementioned King of Illinois, where he once again drove to the final round. He once again came up short. Cal Coonsie got that $31,000 King of Illinois check. But Scott Carman, back-to-back big buck finals in one of the slowest trucks on the property. Pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive. You know, Luke, when you – when you see what he did in a truck going six seventies, by the way. So this, this was, you know, not certainly not some um, impossible task, but a little bit different. Uh, Taylor bowling was going six sixties. Um, Scott Carmen going six seventies. A lot of times you don't see a ton of that in the field. So you don't end up seeing that in a winter circle or, or battling for the win in the final round. So that was fun to watch. Um, and definitely, both in the same day, you know, it was warm. We were running him, you know, pretty hard at times, uh, round after round after round in that heat. And Scott's had a few birthdays as well. Uh, so pretty impressive performance by him. And it wasn't a whole bunch of luck. I mean, he was really making solid laps and driving very well. And, uh, and to come up with that 24K runner-up and the 31K runner-up, uh, although Mark Buttram and, and Kyle Coonsey got the got the wins, Scott Carmen was kind of the man of the day with uh, those two big final rounds. Yeah, without question. And I did want to mention again, Mark Buttram. Buttram is one of those guys, and I know that they're in every area, that outside of this region, I don't know that a lot of people know the name Mark Buttram, but that dude gets it done around here. He's won multiple super gas races. He's won multiple big dollar bracket races. This is his home track, and with the exception of the King of Illinois shootouts that 
it's a hundred percent payback winner take all. So the advertised purse is, is huge. It obviously always gets cut up more than that. But if you put those races to the side, Mark's now won the two richest events ever at this facility. He won our, uh, our elite 150, $25,000 main event several years ago. This is the biggest Jake Summer door car shootout payway to payday to date and wins 24 grander in his familiar room and a pretty impressive showing throughout for one of our locals, Mr. Mark Butcher. Yeah, Mark was very impressive. He he said in the winter circle interview, yeah, I wasn't great today. You know, I live 10 to 15. That's pretty darn solid. You know, that's a that's a great reaction time area to stay in. Certainly everybody wants to be double O every hit, but living 10 to 15 and knowing that you can stay there, there ain't nothing wrong with that. That's that's winning um, reaction times. And you know, he said, yeah, Scott drove the car better than I did today, but he just didn't get the brakes. And you're speaking of Scott Cook, which ended up as the Oakley Performance Quick 16 winner of the night. Uh, Scott jumped in his father's car and uh, got that done in the final round. So that was cool to see. But uh, but Buttram, you know, a 530 Lumina, very solid hot rod, uh, drove it well, made the right decisions and got that win. And then Kyle Coonsey, um, you know, a guy from Iowa, another one of those Iowa man, when they when the guys from Iowa get out and race, Luke, they are freaking bad news. I mean, they really are. The 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 Iowa support there showed out. They really did. Talented group. And uh, and Kyle Coonsey got it done, said, you know, he was he was just ecstatic in the the winter circle, my biggest win ever. You know, I can't believe this. That was super refreshing to see a guy collect the biggest check he's ever collected there in the, in the King Illinois shootout. And certainly a very humble and likable champion, a cool ride in his Chevy too. So all in all, just an amazing night with, with all that you had crammed in there. A uh, great job by you and the staff to, to get that in all the bracket racing, but that wasn't all of it. Like that was just yeah. part of the show. I'll throw this to you. Let me do my best to set the stage for those that are not familiar with the biggest little door car race in the Midwest. There's not a dragster on the grounds. Actually, there was a couple, but they were they were left in trailers, right? It's it's door cars only. We take a pre-entered field of 250 cars. And I'm not going to say that we couldn't park 251 at this relatively tight facility. I'm very confident in saying we can't park 270. It's full, right? 250 is about it. Yeah. And uh, on Saturday night, 1,200 plus spectators at a facility that makes 1,200 look more like 12,000. It looks full because it is full. This place is just busting at the seams and it is, it is an electric atmosphere. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and, and I think that's what permeates more than anything. But that's setting the stage for Saturday night. Saturday night is the quick 16. It is the king of Illinois. It is the salute to the fans. We do wheelies, we do burnouts, we have a good time with it, spurred on this year, spearheaded, I would say, by one big Jed, Jared Pennington, cordless mic in the water box for the wheelie contest, the burnout contest. You got the, you got the crowds foamed up in a frenzy, big Jed. It was, it was a memorable night. Well, that's what the promoter told me to do. The promoter told me, get them, get them stirred up, get them fired up, whatever it takes. So, uh, yeah, we, we collectively made the decision that um, there were five rounds of, of burnout contestants and wheelie contestants. So, um, 
you had judges. You had five panelists, five judges on the deck. You had to see I-57. So it's got a huge, nice patio right outside the tower, connected to the tower that just overlooks the water boxes and the racetrack. So really cool scene. They had the cards, holding up the cards with the number one through 10, whatever they decided was uh, the, the competitor was worthy of for that run. So that was cool. So I'm down on the racetrack and, you know, trying to get post fired up. So we collectively made the decision that I'm going to catch coming in the water box. I'm going to shut the cars down when you come in the water box. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to ask you your plans. I'm going to ask you what kind of score you're trying to put up. And we're going to see if you accomplish your goal, which ultimately would, would help you score lots of points. Cause everybody said, I'm going for 50. I'm going to try to get to 50. I'm trying to get five tens. So Not that everybody. was cool. Hey, how cool was it? Four-time NHRA world champion Gary Stinnett was in the wheelie contest. Yeah, he was. And he was the one guy that didn't say, when you ask Gary Stinnett, what are you going to score? He didn't say 50, did. What, what did Gary Stinnett say? One more than everybody else is what he said. That's the four-time world champion coming out right there. Yeah, he just wanted to score enough to win. Uh, unfortunately, uh, his car, uh, obviously very powerful and very nice and fast. And it was doing power wheelies all weekend, but his car got up quickly, hit the wheelie bar hard. And, you know, those things tend to, to ruin a good time for your burnout competition. So that ended his, uh, his chances with, uh, with some lower scores, but, um, you know, the, the whole scene, just the judges put a number up, I would count it out and tell the fans what the because Luke the fans were so far down the left lane fence for a bracket race that there's no way they could have seen the judges scores from 900 feet away it was the most incredible scene I've seen from fans at a bracket race absolutely unbelievable so the fans the 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 uh the panelists would put up their score I'd count it and tell them oh yeah you got a 28 or 48 or whatever the case may be. So, you know, we were trying to keep the fans hyped and, uh, and it worked. Everybody had a wonderful time. You actually had me go out in the stands before the race. We had panelists that have been in racing for a long time. You had me go out and pick someone from the stands. And I, I picked a young lady named Bree that was in the stands out there that wanted to be part of the show. And, uh, and she did really good. She, she was, a uh, she was right in line with everybody else's thoughts and uh, she seemed kind of knowledgeable about her racing. So the whole scene was really cool. And in the end, stop me if you've heard this before, Lucas Walker gets the wheelie contest when beautiful wheelies, all the wheelie you'd want to do in his beautiful silver Mustang. And, uh, and, you know, he was putting on a show. He laid down multiple fifties, and his silver Mustang and, you know, even come out there and autumn in his girlfriend's car and, and did good wheelies. So really fun to watch, but Lucas is kind of quiet and don't want to say a whole lot on the microphone. Luke. The burnout contest winner. <laughs> that's a whole different story. You know, of course, if you're going to try to burn your crap to the ground, by the way, we had somebody blow one up. We did. And <laughs> we had, uh, we're kind of bad about we, that. Yeah, we had uh, uh, Shannon. Um, uh, what, what was the name? Shannon Bledsoe. Shannon Bledsoe. Yeah, Shannon Bledsoe in a buggy 
uh, did a burnout until uh, the sparks come out of the exhaust. And uh, that's never a good sign. I, I thought it must have dropped a valve or something, but they pushed him away never to come back again uh, for the night anyway. But the winner, although Shauna Whitworth was incredible in the burnout competition, girl power in Brian Whitworth's S10, Brian was actually out there with her and, you know, was was bringing her up for a second. And then he was, you know, like, okay, that's enough. Uh, stop. And she didn't stop. So she killed it. She did an awesome job. Super proud of Shauna. But the winner of the burnout competition was more than just his burnout, Luke. It was, it was just him in general. It was the whole conversation with him. It was, it was who he, how he came off, who he is, the, the kind of person he is. You know, Tom Webster won the burnout competition in his daughter's Malibu. Okay. So Tom comes up in the water box and I'm like, all right, Tom, you know, this thing's been popping wheelies all day. You could do either, but you're in the burnout competition. You fixing to burn these things up? Yeah, well, that's my daughter's car, and she ain't real happy about this because these tars are pretty new. But, you know, I wanted to do this, so I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to get out here and have some fun. She's right there, and she ain't happy. She was standing right over my shoulder, and she was not happy. But you couldn't help but be happy when Tom finally unleashed the beast, Luke, and did the by goddess burnout that anybody did all night. It was incredible. Then he burns out. He goes down the track and, and waves to the 900 feet of fans, turns it around in the track, Luke. Nobody said, hey, Tom, you do a, do a hell of a burnout and then turn this thing around and come back. Tom. He, got, he got fired up, man. Tom, Tom was jacked, and he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to turn this sucker around and drive it back up the track. And he didn't ease back up the track, Luke. I'm standing right out there in the middle around the starting line, and Tom's coming. He's coming back faster than he went down the track in the races. I got to admit, in the smoke and the fight, and I didn't see Tom actually turn around. And I had this fleeting moment, this couple of seconds of just pure panic going, who was driving up the racetrack? What's going on here? <laughs> it was just Tom Webster. I imagine the fans had him stirred up uh, at a very high level down through there, and he just took full advantage of it. Come back, got out of the car, Luke, and celebrated like he's riding a horse, like cowboy style. <laughs> he's, you know, he's just. I mean, like a this is like Tom. What 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 is he? 62, 65? I mean, I don't know. Tom's no, you know, he's older than I am. <laughs> and he he probably hadn't rode the horse in quite some time. And he gets out in front of twelve hundred fans, and he's riding a horse right there around the starting line. And I mean, and, it's a galloping. Yeah, and you know, it's like, oh, uh, Tom, but this was, you know, none of this was planned. And you know, how do you feel about that? And it was. Just, it was unbelievable. The whole scene was amazing. And uh, Tom ultimately won the burnout competition for good reason. He had great prizes for the for the top five in those categories. And a lot of guys and gals got some good stuff. But uh, Lucas and Tom walked away the victors and really just a just an amazing scene. The whole the whole idea, the whole playing it out round after round with the judges getting to talk to them in the, in the water box and, and have some discussion about what their plans were. The whole thing, just such a, such a fun time. 
first off on Lucas Walker, I think it's fair to say he is the undisputed wheelie king of the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout at this point. He hasn't won it every year. He's been a finalist every year. This year's the first time we took five finalists. Lucas actually qualified in both of the cars that he was driving. You mentioned the silver Mustang as well as his girlfriend's auto, girlfriend Autumn's uh, maroon Mustang. And Lucas finished one, two with a completely unblemished score. He did two wheelies in the, in the silver car. They both scored 50. So uh, there, there's, there was no question. Lucas Walker, wheelie king. Tom Webster. So you alluded to the way that we set this up. We basically did these contests in five separate heats. So we'd run a heat, somebody do a burnout, we'd do a couple wheelies, and then we'd run, run another round of our quick 16 in King Illinois, and then we'd bring back another heat of the show, right? Tom Webster, I think, was the, the fourth heat. Well, I guess this is the quickest way to, to put it into perspective. Shauna Whitworth did a, t- did a burnout until she blew out a slick, and she didn't win. And nobody had a problem with it. Like, Shauna didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> like, Tom Webster did the Very burnout of all burnouts. So Tom's, I think, in the fourth heat. So there's been several that have gone before. I'm talking to him in the staging lanes. You know, just I, I try to prep the, 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 the competition. You know, I get him a little bit worked up. As you mentioned, his daughter's giving him an earful. I just bought these slicks. And Tom's laughing her off like, what's the worst going to happen? You're going to get two, three less weekends out of them? Damn, you know, no big deal. Come on. Out. Come on. Come on. He, he busted out a come on on you at some point in the interview. You remember that? Whatever it was, yes. you know? yeah. So, so Tom proceeds to 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 pile into the car, and he's talking to me and this and that, and I just get this impression. I'm like, he's giving he's giving me the riot act. He's like, who you got judging this thing? They give that dude fifty. There's more smoke coming out the headers than there was the damn tires, right? He blew up. It's like a pity vote getting fifty. Come on now. He rolls into the water, and I, I go walking off by a few people that I knew, and I'm like, hey. I don't know what's about to happen, but y'all need to watch this because something's about that. And this crazy bastard's going to do something. By God, he did. And it was fantastic. It was the moment of the night without question. Way to go. It, to go. it absolutely was. Like, it, was <laughs> it was It was like you, you paid him to be there. Like you went and found the craziest son of a gun you could find to come and do it. And that was not the case whatsoever. <laughs> Tom was just a, a patron of the event and decided, you know what, I'm going to get Iron Burma tires up. And he did just that. So. The amazing, uh, amazing scene there just with the fans and all the action going on and, and getting everybody stirred up and seeing the competitors get excited. Just really cool. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's really just a, it, it just shows what the event's all about. I mean, it's just a, it, it's, the event is just built around fun. You know, I've, I've got in my notes here that the Frisbee toss. So everybody in the King of Illinois shootout, it's a frisbee and they write their name on it. And then we stretch them out all the way down the fence and, and toss it in and make sure every group of fans has an opportunity to win a frisbee. And if your frisbee owner wins the race, you get paid from the bleachers, Luke. You paid them $500 for the person that was holding the winning frisbee. And Law Chevrolet. Uh, was making sure that the winner got some extra. You get $1,500 off of a purchase at Law Chevrolet if you were the winner. And you got 1000 off of a purchase at Law Chevrolet if you were the runner-up. Plus, the winner got the 500 in cash. Just an amazing scene. Everybody with one of those Frisbees. That kept the fans engaged. Really cool. The round prizes, I mean, they come up. Paige 
bringing them damn sheets up round after round after round, and they're loaded just so deep in prizes. And so-and-so got this prize from this great sponsor, and the, the sponsorship was incredible. You had so much. I don't even know how many dollars in prizes you had, but it was unbelievable what you you, you accumulated for your supporters the Bush Doherty ice cream social that went on for two days where pretty much anybody that wanted ice cream could come up and get ice cream. And it's like, I'm like, Luke, when are we going to run out of ice cream? Because it, we've been eating ice cream here for two days solid. And I've seen so much ice cream. He's like, uh, you know, this is what, uh, this is what fuel factory uh, put up to spend on ice cream. And it was a, it was a lot and Fuel Factory made sure that everybody there got some freaking ice cream. It was it was awesome. I'm not stayed. responsible for your six-year-old sugar high at 7.30 in the morning. The freezer is stopped, <laughs> right? Uh, our good friend Butch Darty passed several years ago, and he was a, an awesome dude. And uh, we miss him dearly, and we appreciate the great folks at Fuel Factory for stepping up and making sure that, that his memory lived on because he loved ice cream. And, uh, and that that got to live on in literally hundreds of people throughout the weekend. So that was cool. The racer appreciation barbecue from vintage trailers, you know, that was a major undertaking that they fed a lot of people and uh, everybody that had a wristband uh, got, you know, come in with a racer that was a racer. They got fed and got fed. Well, I was in the tower. I looked down that barbecue sandwich looked like a truck wheel. I mean, it was, it was huge. The bun was, it was as big as the plate. Uh, so everybody ate good, got taken very good care of. Um, I am a huge fan of the lemonade at I 57 drag strip, LS I 57 drag strip. Um, hadn't been in a little while to the event, but uh, I'll never forget how good the lemonade is. And they didn't have it on Friday early, but they went to, you know, Walmart or Sam's or wherever they had to go and, got all the the uh, materials to fix the lemonade with and i i drank seemingly multiple gallons of that lemonade it was incredible and i appreciate the folks in the concession stand taking such good care of me there at lsi 57 drag strip and lastly on my list luke my man willie uh willie burnett he had uh some bad misfortune in round one of friday's main event he uh and let's yeah i can say this about willie because i love him and he loves me he was getting his ass kicked okay his ass was kicked first round so and he knew it because willie willie knows track position and he he knew about the time that thing let go he was probably saying oh my ass is kicked and then he nearly got his ass knocked off by pieces of drive shaft that tried to beat his floorboard up drive shaft broke and i mean it broke at, at the top end like you know nearly at the finish line and it was very very unfortunate because it it tore his car up real bad and broke transmission and broke drive shaft and beat the floorboard up and tore up yokes and just sickening and and willie had to finished the event on the microphone only um, when it was, you know, when it wasn't my turn and did it with such grace and a positive attitude and enthusiasm 
to to still do what he was there to do for the show. Just a real professional, cool dude, somebody that I I have so much respect and admiration for, and uh, and got to hang out with his father and uh, his father Bill. Just amazing people, and uh, and Willie's you know very good at what he does too. He's a lot of fun, and and he he almost forces you to pick on him, which is fun because he knows that's just fun for everybody. So. Uh, just had a blast. Willie, Willie's incredible to work with and, uh, and certainly enjoyed being up there with him and, and hanging out some with Bill out in the pits too. Yeah. You guys made a hell of a tag team. You were a lot of fun to listen to. And I, and I think shout out as well. Uh, Jesse Fritz, one of our racers made his way up to the tower repeatedly and was part of that fun as well. Jesse, a, a young up and coming racer, but uh, also yeah. a talent in the booth. So yeah, you guys, you and Willie, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a tag team back again. That was uh, that was some good stuff, especially during the Saturday night show. So thank you, Big Jet, as always for for being a part of it. Um, I guess like I told you personally, you bring a whole lot more to the show than you probably realize or certainly want to admit. So it uh, it was a lot of fun. Appreciate you being there. That was my pleasure. I had a blast, man. You know, and again, a lot of a lot of the fun in it is who you're working with, and uh, and I've been fortunate to work with a lot of great people over the years, and certainly uh, Willie's way up on that list as well. Um, and Jesse Fritz did a fantastic job. Brett Williamson come up and called some with us. Uh, great to see that that kind of young talent in the sport that really lets their racing do the talking come up and do some talking. I thought that was really cool for, for both of those guys to come up and join us. But had a blast. Even heard old Bogak on the mic a few times, uh, getting some calls out in the lanes and having some uh, some fun things to say. So I was just uh, all in all. All in all, just a tremendous effort by everybody. The staff worked hard there at I-57 and, uh, you know, certainly your staff, uh, Jess and and Paige and you and everybody that was involved in uh, the promotion end of it. Uh, Donnie was Donnie Ellis, track owner, was working hard. Just uh, the whole group came together very well and and put on a hell of a show. And if you if you haven't been to the Jake Summer Dark Car Shootout before, you really got to do yourself a favor and and get there somehow at a, in a future event. When we reconvene with next week's edition of. Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. We will undoubtedly cover what I, I guess will be the last NHRA Lucas Oil Series event from Bandemir Speedway in Denver, Colorado. Mm. Double divisional going on as we speak. We'll undoubtedly recap the TB Promotions Twin 50s from St. Louis and whatever else we can come up with. Look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Yeah, look forward to talking about that action next week and uh, anything else that catches our eye. I am um, I'm going live at 8.15 on the World Footbreak Challenge Facebook page. To big discuss. announcement, one hour from now. Yeah, important announcement. I, I don't know how big it is, but it's definitely important. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it's big, but we'll see how everybody feels about it when, when I get it all out there. But yeah, about an hour from now. So tune in live to the World Footbreak Challenge Facebook page and, uh, and see what we have uh, made change changes to for uh, this year's World Foot Break Challenge. It's going to be uh, going to be a record crowd by all indications. It's going to be incredible and um, going to be a lot of fun, but it, it's forcing a little bit of schedule adjustment. So y'all tune into that and uh, and see what we have in store. It'll be a live uh, video 
and uh, there'll probably be some opportunity there for discussion if somebody's got questions. So uh, we'll be uh, we'll be handling that here in about an hour or so after I eat a little supper. But that's it, guys. That wraps us up here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Certainly appreciate you watching. If you're just a listener, and I don't mean that the wrong way, don't mean it nothing like it sounded, but if you don't tune into the live, but you listen to the audio, we appreciate you listening this long as well here on uh, on a Friday afternoon or Friday evening. Um, if you got comments that you want to leave about the show, uh, about what we talked about here or uh, what we should have talked about or maybe should in a future show, there's a place to do that. It's right there at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can go right there and post it for everyone to see, or you can uh, message us on the private message and producer Mark snag that up and, and send it to us and let us know what you had to say. Luke, I've seen you uh, direct your attention to your notepad a time or two during the show, so I'm assuming you got a shout or two. Shouts to more gooder. Shouts to way to go, Monty Joe. Shouts and happy trails to Brandon Miller's perfect season. Shouts to Jamie Schmall's long distance award. Shouts to the fat lady. Shouts to the Mordor. Shouts to Willie's ass. And shouts to Tom Webster. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we gonna burn them up pretty good. She ain't happy about it. Good job, Tom. Guys, I'm going, I'm going for 50. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Luke and I are active on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. It's been a blast talking to you this week, and we can't wait to get back here and talk to you again real soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>